welcome to Debating Metal. I'm your host, Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal. Along with my co-host, Chris Kay, we discuss and dissect the songs, albums, and bands of the music we are most passionate about, heavy metal. So sit back, relax, turn it up to 11, and let the debate begin. Merry Christmas, everyone, and welcome back to Debating Metal. I'm Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, along with my co-host, Chris Kay. It is Christmas Day, and we're bringing you another episode of Debating Metal. It's episode 44, and we're going head-to-head with Motley Crue, Shout at the Devil versus Dr. Feelgood. Kenneth and I will talk about each of the album's songs, riffs, production, and more, and let you know which album we feel is the better of the two. Being that it's the holiday season, the Debating Metal crew is in the holiday spirit, and we've got our big four Christmas metal songs for you. So stick around to the end to hear which songs we chose. Also, be sure to check out last week's episode for our big four Overkill songs. And as always, I'll bring you another dose of rusty metal diving deep into the archives of metal and highlighting an album that I feel is worth listening to one more time and hopefully turning on some listeners to some classic metal. And this week, Chris has an injection of Freshly Forged for your metal veins. If you missed last week or any of our previous episodes, be sure to click subscribe or follow and get our latest episode every Friday morning on your favorite podcast platforms. And now you can hear us on Pandora, too. We also want to read your opinions on these or any of our other topics. So if you like what we had to say or just want to rip us a new one, send us an email to debatingmetal at gmail.com or message us on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. Now this week, since it's Christmas... Kenneth and I figured it would be cool to give you a few recommendations on holiday albums from some of our favorite metal musicians. So, Kenneth, what did you come up with? Okay, well, I came up with, in my ever-vast Google search, (laughs) (laughs) Um, actually, no, I'm a big Christmas fan. I like Christmas. It doesn't, you know, there's some people out there that are really, really humbug. I know you're not one of them, but but uh, it's uh, people have to get used to this music, and some people just can't stand it because they've heard the same song a hundred thousand times. How many times can someone hear "Santa Baby" you know, <laughs> by, by by Madonna or Eartha Kitt? You know, how many times can you know the whole controversy last year about "Baby It's Cold Outside"? I mean, I haven't heard a thing about that this year. So well, there's always uh, something to keep the people excited you know exactly so so this year you know i haven't listened to as much christmas music the way i like to but i always go back to my standards when i talk about my standards i'm talking about my metal albums that i listen to and they're not a lot of albums but certain songs that are heavier or more not so slow paced and standard and sappy like uh, like most christmas songs are but anyway um, there is pretty a, a few good albums out there to, to, to listen to. So what I came up with for this year is uh, there's a, a an all star album if you if you will. Um, you know Bruce Kulick, not Bruce Kulick, Bob Kulick did a lot of of these tribute albums over the years, and one of the tribute albums that he did was was a, a Christmas, and it's not really a tribute album, but the same people that do the rounds. And do these tribute albums were the same people that did this um, Christmas album, 
And, you know, it, it's got the all the regulars. Jeff Scott Soto, Bruce and Bob Kulik, Jolyn Turner, Tim Ripper Owens, Rudy Sarzo, Simon Wright, Alice Cooper, Jeff Tate, Lemmy, Chuck Billy, a whole bunch of more metal guys that are out there. Um, so it is the album called We Wish You a Metal Christmas and a Headbanging New Year. I love the title. Love the title of that album. So if you if you get a chance and you're in the record stores or you're on Amazon, I know there's not too many record stores left out there. If you're on Amazon or any of the big box stores that have uh, CD sections, go and, and find this album. It is really cool. I like it. Yeah, I like this one. I, I know uh, Run Rudolph Run is probably my favorite on this one. That's uh, sung by Lemmy with uh, Billy Gibbons and Dave Grohl. So you've got like a, just a really fun combo of, of guys playing music here. So I've got also two singles uh, by Austrian Death Machine. If you're familiar with uh, Tim Lambesis, I know people have uh, mixed feelings on the guy after you know some of his past. Uh, but he did a project called Austrian Death Machine where it's a huge parody of, of Arnold Schwarzenegger. And all the songs are related to... Uh, his his uh, movies so he did you know get to the choppa and and songs based on predator and stuff like that so this one there's one called jingle all the way and then a very brutal christmas and uh, the jingle all the way one obviously references the movie which is one of my favorite christmas movies Um, so definitely check those out they're a lot of fun hopefully we can move past some of the the stuff that happened with him that's kind of the point of of going to prison is to reform and and you know get a fresh start so i i kind of look at it that way sometimes it's uh it's better to to look at people and and give them a second chance and isn't that what christmas is all about absolutely and speaking of tim he just had an accident where he ended up uh burning a about 25 percent of his body so he's in the hospital. He's on morphine, as you can tell by the picture on Blabbermouth. But uh, hopefully he has a speedy recovery and gets back out there um, once everything is ready to go for these bands to play live again. So speedy recovery for Tim Lambesis. Okay, my next album to pick, uh, to, to offer up. Uh, you're never going to believe this, and, and a few people don't know this, but there's a guy... Uh, he's an old guy. He actually he's passed away a few years ago. His name is Christopher Lee. He is a famous English actor, and he released some heavy metal albums uh, in the 2000s. And towards the end of, of his, I guess you could say, career, towards the end of his life, he also released two metal Christmas albums. This guy was in his 90s, and he's doing these, 90, uh, these metal Christmas albums, or metal albums in general. The funny thing about it is if you listen to it, it is metal music, and he is really mo- almost spoken wordish to some degree, you know, in some of the stuff. But it was really cool. Uh, he released a heavy metal Christmas and a heavy metal Christmas two, spelled T O O. So check out those; those are pretty fun. Um, if you like metal, you'll you'll enjoy this these albums a lot. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Christopher Lee. Uh, I loved his his movies. Uh, his Dracula films were some of my favorites of that genre. Um, he he's just a really cool dude and a huge metal fan. And for him to do something like that, that was just awesome. the 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 music is a lot of fun to listen to. So yeah, I I totally agree on that one. Um, so I've got two albums. One from the band Halford. 
and one from Rob Halford. So he did his third album with his his solo band Halford was called Winter Song. Um, very cool. Uh, I'm I'm sure it'll come up a bit later as far as uh, when we're we're talking about our big four today because I I know uh, I'm a huge fan of of Rob and we've talked about him you know time and time again and uh the new one that just came out celestial um i haven't had as much of a chance to listen to it but i really enjoyed it and it seems like it's a a, kind of a a a product of love for him because he's got family and friends involved and it's just you know it's really nice to see you know a guy doing something that he doesn't really care about making money on this is just for him to be happy and for him to enjoy what he's doing and that's that's i can't say enough about that cool well um, i'm a big fan of rob's and we, we we talk about him a lot and he he was the uh, the the book uh, that he just released confess was your pick of the week last week so very cool um my last choice for for christmas music here is going to be i actually going to list two two out Real quick, uh, Helix a, a while ago put out an album. They're a Canadian heavy metal band from the '80s. They're still putting out stuff. They put out an album called "A Heavy Mental Christmas," and the I guess you could call them a metalcore band. Um, August Burns Red. I'm not really familiar with them, but I know they do metal. They also put out a Christmas album called uh, "August Burns Red Presents Sledding Hill," a holiday album. I have not had a chance to listen to that one, but I did see that on my list of albums that I, that I I googled, and so I just went ahead and put it on my list here for you guys to maybe check out. All right, well, cool. I'm not really familiar with those, but uh, I know we have a pretty diverse group of fans, and metal itself is is very diverse. So it's always nice to kind of bring highlight to some of these uh, probably lesser known. I think a lot of people probably don't know there's a lot of metal in our Christmas metals uh, albums and songs. So um, it's, it's a good thing to bring out and uh, allow people to kind of feel like they, they fit in even at this time of year. Absolutely. All right. So that brings us to rusty metal for this week. And this week's rusty metal pick is Brittany Fox with their debut album, Brittany Fox. It was released on Columbia Records. It was produced by John Jansen, and it was recorded at the Warehouse in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, as well as the House of Music in West Orange, New Jersey. The album came out in 1988. Basically, this was Columbia Records' answer to Cinderella. And by by comparing it to Cinderella, there's two things here that, that make the comparison. One, both bands, Cinderella and Britney Fox, are from the Philadelphia area. And the second comparison is that Dean Davidson, the lead singer on these albums, uh, sounds exactly like Tom Kiefer. The high pitch, the squeal, the gruffy voice, it's kind of almost like a Brian Johnson kind of sound from ACDC. These two guys sound virtually identical. Um, so there's a lot of comparisons between the two. The difference is that Cinderella is a hell of a lot better band than Britney Fox ever was or will be. But that does not mean that this is not a good album. The album went gold on the strength of two of its singles, which is Long Way to Love and Girl School. Both those songs kick ass. The album then from there kind of just goes into straightforward glam metal style music, and there's nothing really that stands out 
as being this this great stuff that would put them you know above the next band. So they kind of fell into that generic level of of glam metal, but they still had those two songs that really stood out. They're still kind of you know like um, Sirius XM Radio on on the Hair Nation still play these songs left and right. I mean I've heard at least four or five or six songs from them on on, on Hair Nation over the years. If you're into '80s hair metal, this album is very good at being 80s hair metal or 80s glam metal, however you want to call it. But it's even with the rest. It's a good album. I like the first two songs. I like the Goodbye to Jane song. I like these guys. Um, so give them a chance. Listen to it. I know I gave this really up and down 50-50, I take it or leave it type of review. But it's one of those things where you had to you had to kind of have to listen to it to see whether you like it or not. And I'm giving you guys a chance to take check it out. And also... Recently, they released the first their first two albums on vinyl again, and it's actually a double package, so you can get both albums in one package of vinyl for like 20 bucks or something like that. So it's not a bad deal. So if you get a chance to go out there and buy it, do it. You won't be disappointed. I get what you're saying. I mean, even even some of the most popular bands, realistically, they they oftentimes only had you know a few good songs on each album, and then a lot of it was filler. I mean, let's just be 100% honest. And they, they may have, like, the, the classic album that's great from beginning to end, but then there's a lot of a lot of their discographies that are like that. It's just hit or miss whether they hit the big time at the right time, etc. And I, I know a couple of their songs, uh, but, you know, they weren't one that really stuck out to me, uh, and that's mostly because I didn't really get into glam until way later. Uh, you know, as I... I was very young when it was a concept and it just obviously didn't appeal to me at the time. Um, but I like some of it now, like, like we're about to talk about Motley Crue and you know, they're one of the forefront in that, that genre. So, um, yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying about just it not being maybe the biggest banger out there, but at the same time being worth a listen. Exactly. It's definitely worth a listen. Um, and some people are going to love the album. I mean, there are people, I mean, obviously they still have diehard fans because they're still mm-hmm. around today. So it, it's one of those things where it's, it, like I said, it's almost like a take or leave it. You, you either like it or you don't. And it's, but it falls into that, that category where it's like they didn't stand out above the crowd. You know, fortunately for them, they came out at the height of glam metal. So they had a couple of good years. You know, but right after those couple of good years, grunge came and kind of wiped everything out. So, yeah. So they had a resurgence when, you know, when all those American festivals started happening and all those 80s rock bands, excuse me, all those 80s rock bands started playing all these festivals. So they're still around. So good for them. All right. So this week for Freshly Forged, um, it's, it's funny, we've talked about a couple times, when did a band lose you and did they get you back? Um, so it was odd to me. I, I listened to this on a whim because I, I did like this band quite a bit when they first came out. And then uh, around 2002, they really started changing their sound. And then by 2007, I had just kind of given up. And I really didn't listen to anything after that. So I I have really not listened to this band for almost 15 years. And on a whim, I checked out Soilworks' new EP, uh, A Wisp of the Atlantic. Calling it an EP, I honestly think is kind of ridiculous because this is actually longer than Rain and Blood. 
<laughs> but but uh, it is only five songs. The the first song is 16 minutes, and it's quite the epic. And I think it's a great way to start it because oftentimes when you have a 16-minute song, it's hard to follow. For a lot of people, they just can't get invested in that long of a song. But this works really well, and it's it just it blew my mind that this band that I had I had lost interest in because they had gotten away from uh, you know the really heavy music the the Scandinavian sound and they had become much more um, kind of accessible uh, they had gone towards kind of like that mellow sound and this is heavy and awesome. And the first track is great, the 16-minute Wisp of the Atlantic. But the second track just kicked so much ass. It's called The Nothingness and the Devil. And I just, man, I I was blown away. I I really got into it. So... (sighs) I, that's, okay, there is one note that I wanted to say. So I looked up online uh, the the track listing, and the track listing is different than what is on Google Play. So I'm not sure if I'm telling you the right thing, if it's actually track two or if it's, it's incorrectly listed or what. Um, but the version that I listened to, that was track two. So... That is the track that I'm talking about, Nothingness and the Devil. Um, but the but the the track listing online shows Feverish is number two, which was also really kick-ass. That had like a black metal flair to it, and I was really surprised from a band that had become more focused on clean vocals. Like this has really gone back to the early days of the 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 Steel Bath Suicide and Chain Heart Machine, like albums that that. I was really into back when they first came out and uh, I was I was just very surprised to hear a band that I had completely given up on release something that just really kicked so much ass so uh, definitely check that out if you were uh, a soil work stalwart at the beginning and and kind of dropped off or even if you're still a modern fan and uh, you've you've been following them i think this is a good fit because i went back and kind of checked out some of the stuff before and it it almost sounds like a logical uh move for the band to go back in this direction so very cool cool awesome i uh i haven't listened to a lot of soil work i do know um the drummer for megadeth used to be in soil work right yes dirk verbieren right so so yeah, so I've I've never really got too far into them, so I will definitely check this out and and uh, give it a listen, especially on my way to work in the mornings because I have all that time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you if you've if you got time to listen to uh, to Rain and Blood, you you got about as much time to listen to the CP. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because that's about what thirty minutes. Yeah. So all right, cool. Sounds great. All right, well, that brings us to our main topic for today, and that's going to be Motley Crue, Shout of the Devil versus Dr. Feelgood, two classic early 80s, or actually mid-80s glam metal albums. And I got to say this, you know, Motley Crue, they've been on and off my radar over the years. I, I like them. I don't love them. I don't hate them, but sometimes they just make me shake my head. <laughs> so it, it's one, they're one of these bands that, you know, 
there's something about them, and I and I still to this day like I don't get why or how they continue to sell out shows when they do their little tours. I mean, the last tour they did was six years ago. They were supposed to do the stadium tour this year, but that got wiped out by COVID. It, it's unreal how many fans they have out there when they really truly and honestly have not put out a good product of new music in a very long time so they have a they have a nostalgia factor that that they're really riding the wave of which is not a criticism whatsoever i mean there's so many bands that do this and they recognize like why why put out new music when this is what the fans one want to hear they're not they're not putting out music that they feel is is top notch, you know, gonna gonna represent what they they've done over the years, and and I get that. So I I don't really have a criticism in that capacity. Uh, but but Motley Crue is one of those bands that I have kind of a love hate relationship with. I I really don't like a lot of the things they've done as people over the years. But that being said, you know they're they're also very true to themselves and they don't make any qualms about who they are. So I can't really argue with that at the same time. The band has put out some really great albums and they put out some absolute trash. So <laughs> I, yeah. you know, I, it's one of those things like I just, I like them. I like them well enough. They have some tracks I, I think are amazing. And then, and then, you know, I, can easily lose sight of them at the same time, but they're definitely a, a landmark band in the, the, the history of metal. And they're definitely a band that's necessary to talk about. And that's why we're talking about them today. Absolutely. I mean, what I was going to say when you were talking about how they, they don't new, do new music since the beginning, they've had a, a tremendous amount of comparison to kiss since they first came out between the theatrics and the fire and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And even now, because of the way Kiss is and the way Motley Crue is, you know, they have very outlandish shows, so much so that apparently they're accusing Kiss of actually of stealing some of their stage design for, for the most recent tour. So that's one of those things where it's, the, the comparisons continue and it's not even music related anymore. Wow. Well, enough of the Kiss comparisons from Molly Crew. Let's dive into this album. Um, we're going to talk about Shout the Devil first. That came out in 1983 on Electro Records. It was produced by Tom Worman. It was recorded at Cherokee Studios in Hollywood, California. And it is, just to, to lay down the, the groundwork for it, it is a very good album. It is one of their better albums, as is Dr. Feelgood. So do you want to go first with the songs or do you want me to go first? Yeah, I'll go first with this one. Okay, let's do it. Okay, so uh, Shout at the Devil, like you said, 1983. So you kind of know what to expect to a degree at that time. However, this is this is one of the albums that really influenced a lot of what Glam was going to be. Uh, the the imagery of how they dressed, the this the... the the sound that they were creating, so many bands emulated uh, what Motley Crue was doing. So this was this was a big step in in the direction of of that cohesiveness of of a of a glam album. You know the stuff they did before was 
working up to this and this this even though it sounds pretty raw it's still more mature and focused in in what they they were trying to present as a band uh so the first track is exactly that it 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 sets the stage for a a sound that's going to you know persevere through the whole album and it's called in the beginning and what it is is it's a sermon like intro you know, about a minute long, really cool vibe, but it, it kind of pushes the boundaries of, of, you know, what's, what's edgy at the time, I guess. Uh, you know, you've got a metal band with these guys looking just, you know, uh, glammed out and they've in the original album cover has a, a pentagram. And this is, this is a metal sermon at the beginning. It's definitely, uh, one of these types of things that you kind of like, what are you getting here? Because if you, if you're coming off the first Motley Crue album, too fast for love, there was nothing like this on there. And so you hear this, this, you know, I can't even call it keyboard. It's just these winds kind of sounds and this, this stuff that's coming up. And then you hear this guy who's almost sounds like he's talking through a, through a speaker or through a microphone that's coming through a speaker. Mm -hmm. And it's because it's not like a clear, focused voice it's it's definitely something that's they're recording off of a speaker that like it like if you're out in the open listening to some guy preach exactly like you're saying in a sermon and this guy talks you know says all these lines and it, basically he's talking to the youth of america because stuff has gone down you know the world has has turned upside down and he wants to make sure that he brings the youth to stand up and rise up against what we don't know, even though he says shout at the devil, we don't know what he's really ta referring to. Yeah. Now, now that goes directly into the track shout at the devil, uh, which is just a kick-ass fist-pumping anthem. You know that feeling that you get when you hear, say, uh, Journey, uh, the uh, don't stop believing that that fist-pumping. You know, just you know where it's going. You're gonna. The whole crowd is gonna get involved. That's that's what "Shout at the Devil" is for Motley Crue. It's that it's that track that just, you know, the you're standing in the in the audience and the whole audience is saying "Shout, shout," and you know, if, if there's gonna be an iconic song off of this album, it's this one. Uh, yeah, this song is definitely. A, a kick-ass song, like you said. It definitely gets the blood pumping. It's not a fast song either. No. But it's one of these songs where, you know, you it, it gets everybody into the mood. It gets everyone cheering and screaming and yelling and shouting. <laughs> Pun intended. Yeah, it's, it's one of those tracks that it's not super fast. It's not it's not uh, doing anything that's, that's mind-blowing or, or, you know, just innovative per se but what it does is it it gets everybody kind of rallied together and you know raising their their fist in in the name of metal exactly that's definitely what it does all right so the third track is looks that kill um it's one of those those songs that it has a really repetitive riff but it, it's repetitive in a way that works like this is this is one of those those kismet moments when you hear a a certain uh chord a certain um uh when you hear a certain set of notes that just come out in the perfect way 
Looks at Kill has just the right amount of distortion to sound heavy as hell, and it, it's just, it's a great song. It is. It is the first Motley Crue song that I got into, that I first saw, first heard, because, you know, Too Fast for Love, is, is, as much as it was a, a big album, it, it wasn't universally awesome right off the start. You know, it had it got re-released by Elektra a year later, and it was it was building up steam. But they were still just an opening act, if you want to look at it like that. Shout out to Devil, put them over over the top, and Looks of Kill was their big radio hit to lead the album. And so MTV played the crap out of this song, and it was awesome. I just loved it. I mean, the video is as cheesy as it gets, no, with, yeah, you know, with the, the cheesy graphics and stuff on there and, and, and editing. But man, it's a killer song. The riff, as much as it's played in constantly over and over again, that's the simplicity of that song makes it that much better because it's oh. just such crunchy riff. Oh, for sure. It's, it's a track that, that is very um, catchy, and that's that's the trend that would come out of, you know, the songs that they were writing at this time and what would be kind of one of the hallmarks of this, this genre of metal is, is catchy songs and the simplicity makes it memorable at the same time. So it's not a bad thing to be simple. I mean, Pantera approved that with walk. I mean, exactly. Same thing. They created a heavy, heavy song that was that was a simple riff, and this is the same kind of concept where you found a track like Tony Iommi was the the uh, the master of that, finding a riff that worked and then repeating it and maybe creating a little variation here and there. But but the song was memorable because it was it was a strong riff, and that's exactly. what looks at kill is. All right, the fourth track is called Bastard. Um, this kind of caught the ire of the PMRC. Uh, we've <laughs> talked about them before. Uh, lovely Tipper Gore and her crusade against heavy metal. Um, this is uh, directed at somebody specific that wronged the band. I don't know who that person is, uh, but it's a violent track, and that's why it, it gave... Uh, uh, the P, or that's why it gained the the attention of the PR, PMRC, but uh, I think it's a kick-ass track. It's a it's a great song. I like it. Yeah, I love you know the the drumming on it. You know the the aggression on the song. Mm-hmm. And so the, the funny thing about this song is you know I I grew up in a relatively Christian household, and my family didn't curse much at all. And you know that, that's called cussing here in the South. And so when this song came on in my room, I would literally either change the song, lower the volume, or do something. <laughs> and and uh, if it was funny. playing in yeah, and if it was playing in the car, because my aunt was real cool, she would let me play a lot of a lot of the stuff that I listened to. So she was always listening to Iron Maiden, Motley Crue, and Kiss every morning on the way to school. So um, if it was coming, if it came on in the car, I would either I would hit fast forward and try and get to the next track on the on the cassette or lower the volume or just leave it low until the song was over but it was just that's just the way I grew up I didn't I felt awkward you know being at the time for this album came out I was 14 years old so I felt awkward that my aunt sitting there next to me you know she's this Christian lady and 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 I'm sitting there listening to a song called bastard you know and it's just like <laughs> you know so I was like all right you know I'll just I'll just skip this one but the song is pretty awesome I like it it's a very cool song like I said aggressive and uh I love the drumming on it Tommy just 
playing all over the place on this one. Yeah, the the more aggressive tracks from the band, I I think are some of the best because Tommy Lee is a great drummer, um, and he he has a a perfect sound for the band, and that's something that I always like to talk about with bands in general. Is a lot of times you have um, the perception, oh, this guy's not you know the best drummer. Well, it, that doesn't really matter as long as the, he matches the sound of the band. And I, that's not the case here where I'm, I'm not saying Tommy Lee's not a, dra- a great drummer. Um, but what I mean is as long as the band meshes well and has a sound that works together, that's what matters. And that's what was great about early Motley Crue was they, they had a chemistry that really worked. Um, so Bastard, it, it, it's just a really aggressive track, and you can feel that from the whole band, and they're still pretty young and still pretty hungry at this time. So it it worked completely well. Next track is God Bless the Children of the Beast. This is a, a, an interlude piece, a Mick Mars transition uh, between you know the first portion of the album to the second portion leading into the next track, Helter Skelter. Um you know, it's it's pretty cool. It's, you know, nothing to write home about, but it, it fits the vibe of the album, especially linking back to that in the beginning track. It's one of those moments that really kind of unites the album with a theme. Yeah, I, I like this piece um, from Mick because, uh, you know, there's a layered effect to it. Uh, it's got multiple guitars. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, towards, towards the... I guess in the first third, at the end of the first third of the song, I mean it's only a minute something long. Um, Mick starts harmonizing with his own, with himself, basically. Um, yeah. Start. He puts in two lead solos over over each other. This this to me again with the Kiss comparisons, this harkens back to Rock Bottom off the Dress to Kill album. Uh, that song had an intro which was very similar, and, and in this particular case with the Kiss version or the Kiss song, um, Rock Bottom was played by both Paul Stanley and Ace Frehley, where in, in this case, Mick Mars does all the guitar work. Um, but in, in Kiss's case, it's Paul Stanley doing a consistent uh, rhythm uh, through the song, and then Ace is doing like a little lead lick on top of it. So there's there's big similarities as both songs kind of stand as in, uh, standalone pieces. Uh, the difference between the Kiss version is that actually that's technically the rock bottom intro, where God Bless the Children of the Beast is a standalone piece. However, Kiss made it a standalone piece when they re-released it on double platinum and they put it in front of the song She. So I I, I don't know. To me, it it should be a standalone piece. It's a very beautiful piece for Kiss, and you know even my my girls like it. My wife likes it, but they don't understand why it's at the beginning of rock bottom, why why it's connected to that song. Yeah. In in this particular case, like I said, Motley Crue's God Bless the Children of the Beast is a standalone track. But like you said, it does flow well through through the album because of the theme the the, the theme of the album and also all the anger that they've got going on. You know, you go from Shout Out the Devil and you know, basically they're getting to this point where it says God bless the children of the beast. So it's it's all tied in together. Yep. All right. So track six is Helter Skelter. And this is the the end of the of side A uh of the original version. So um it's a Beatles cover, if you're familiar with the song Helter Skelter. Uh I tend to think that this was added for the controversy factor. 
this song is is associated with the Manson family, Charles Manson, and uh, even though it has nothing to do with him technically, he adopted this this uh, ideal, I guess, uh, this this uh, helter skelter way of doing things, and uh, don't really feel that that's necessary to talk about. I mean, you can look it up in your free time if you'd like to, uh, but. Uh, yeah, it's. I think there there's a factor in there of of trying to have the the controversy there. That being said, it's a really heavy cover of the song, and it works really well. Um, Mick Mars guitars on this this track are really nice. The drumming's nice, uh, and the and the bass mixes in really well. I mean, it's it's a damn good version. It is. It is a very good version. I, I actually like it better than the Beatles version myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and speaking of versions, I also like this better than the Aerosmith version that came out on Pandora's box box set. Aerosmith, you know, they, they did a really killer cover of Come Together, so they tried it again with Helter Skelter, released it on the box set. It didn't have the same impact, um, but Motley Crue's version is a hell of a lot better, a lot angrier, and I, I could see the point about being, you know, adding it for the controversy. At, at this stage of the game, I believe Motley Crue, you know, they're coming off their second album. Nikki Six is very dedicated to making sure that Motley Crue succeeds. And I, I like you said, the, this is a calculated add to the album. Uh, whether it's because of the PMRC or whether it's just because it, it, it links to all the different things that they're talking about on the album, it definitely adds to everything that, that is going on with this album. And it, it to me, it fits perfectly in it. They released it as a, a, as a single, but it, it wasn't really one of those that, that, that it didn't become a radio hit whatsoever. But I have an, uh, like an EP single um, that came out. It's a picture disc. And it's pretty cool because it actually has the original Leather Records versions of Livewire and Take Me to the Top on it. Oh, wow. Okay. And uh, it was was one of these things where I'm like, oh, cool. At the time, you know, that wasn't available. I mean, it was already out of print and Elektra had already remixed the album and re-released it. So that was pretty cool. Um, So I still have that. And this song is definitely, like you said, adds to the controversy. Yeah, I mean that that was a tactic with a lot of bands at at that time period because it you know it's the same thing as what ended up happening with the PMRC where they had the uh, adult content uh, stickers on there that made it more enticing for young people to to pick it up and when there was something that was that was fueling the controversy I mean that just that gets more than just the hardcore fans. That gets people from the outside. So I think it was definitely, like you said, a calculated move. Um, yeah, this was this was one of the first albums to get a label on it. And we're talking, this is 1983. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and it wasn't even a label. They they were forced to print on the, the, the actual album artwork on the back. Basically says, this album contains explicit lyrics. It's not very big. It's not like the black and white sticker that we see nowadays. It's relatively small, but that little tiny thing added so much to the record sales. The PMRC totally screwed the you know the pooch on this one. <laughs> Every sticker they put on it just added to the record sales of the albums. It really did. And and 
certain bands just decided to say they they wanted to just say fuck for the sake of saying fuck just so they can get a label on it and sell more records. Yeah, you'd have one track on the whole album that had curse words, and that that was just so that they could get the the uh, the sticker. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so. The other thing I wanted to say about Helter Skelter is that, like you said, it ends side one or side A, however you want to look at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it, it is definitely the cap of the first half of the album because now going into the second half of the album, there's a completely different vibe. We're going to talk about it now. But that first album, the first side was so angry and so aggressive. Yeah. But but the second side, it, there's a little bit of the angst is still there, but it's a, it's a definitely a different vibe. So let's go ahead and talk about side two. Well, the, it starts off with Red Hot. It's a kick-ass breakneck drum beat and a, just a pounding riff. I love this song. It it's so good. Um, it's a great way to start it off. It feels like a like a starter track, uh, a uh, intro track. I, I have nothing really bad to say about it. It's the intro song to side two, so it's definitely a killer song. Um, it's the it, to me, it's Tommy's homage to Motor, Motorhead's Overkill, double bass, the way he's got it, the way he's playing it. I mean, the song is cool. It's got cool vocal melodies. It's it's just got cool harmonies in it. It's a simple chorus, you know, but it's it's the main verse that drives the song, and and which is memorable as well. Right? You know, it's, exactly. it's simple and catchy. Exactly, and it's it's to the point, and it is exactly it's a rebellion song. So it's it's exactly what the band was all about. But as you could tell, the vibe is not as angry on that song as as the vibe is on side A. So, but it, it's you know it's a rebellion song. So it's, it's still thematically correct because it's still you know they're they're still trying to get the kids to rise up. But it's different. It's a different tone mm-hmm. on this one. So I like I love the song. It's great. The next track is "Too Young to Fall in Love." To me, this is this is one of the most iconic Motley Crue songs. Um, it's just it, there's a really good mix of it's a little bit slower, but at the same time still heavy, and it has a really good building riff to it. So it's got all the elements that 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 when you think of Motley Crue that fit into a song. And, and I just, I think it's great. Absolutely. This, this song is, it's got so many different dimensions to it. Mm-hmm. You know, I like the song a lot. It It's, it's heavier than it appears to be. Ex- exactly. Yes. You have that drum beat that is driving it because that's Tommy Lee and he just plays so heavy. Right. And then you have that, Mick Mars comes in with that heavy chord, I mean, not heavy chords, with that heavy crunchy guitar, right? So the verses and the and the and the, the guitar patterns and all that, it, it's it's a heavy song. And then comes the chorus, and the chorus is smooth and light. That it 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 takes away the heaviness, but at the same time, it it it's it makes it catchy. Too young to fall in love. The chorus is very catchy it's got a great hook so it, it all these different elements work so well together in this out in this song so it's it's really cool i love the song you know and it and it's 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 definitely motley crew in in a nutshell in that one song yeah it's it's one of those songs that fits the vibe of the young audience that's listening to it at least at the time when it came out and uh 
it's uh exactly what it says i guess is is the best way to put it it's it's one of those songs that um it, it leads to like that playboy mentality of the band the, you know the from that time period so i i think it kicks ass and this this song was all over mtv you know I, I talk about MTV back when it was actually a music video channel, mm-hmm. you know, not, not what it is now. Um, I, I grew up on MTV in the 80s, and this song was everywhere. It was just playing all the time. And they didn't have Headbangers Ball just yet, but this song was playing, you know, it was in heavy rotation. You know, it, was, it had to be top five at the time, so it must have been playing at least every hour. So it was crazy. And if you've ever played... Grand Theft Auto Vice City, you know this song. (laughs) All right, cool. All right, so the next track is... uh, The next track is Knock'em Dead Kid. This is a pretty cool track. It's uh, about an encounter with... uh, some Hell's Angels, apparently, uh, with Nick, Nikki Six, uh, that turned out to actually be undercover cops, and he spent the night in jail after getting to getting into a fight with some undercover cops. So, <laughs> what can you say? I mean, that that's about as heavy metal as it gets. <laughs> uh, yeah, Nikki Six getting the shit beat out of him by cops. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Yeah, <laughs> biker cops, no less. Um, this is Cruz one of their heaviest songs that they've put out. It's a killer riff. I love that guitar riff. When I was younger, this song almost kind of turned me off because of the subject matter. I had, you know, heard Nikki Six talk about the fact that he got into it some bikers and he ended up punching a cop in the face and ended up in the night in jail after they roughed him up a little bit. And it, it kind of turned me off because I didn't want to see a guy and I didn't look at them as my heroes because as much as I like Motley Crue, I don't think I've ever looked up to anybody as a hero per se. Now it may have come across that way in the way I spoke about, you know, had conversations about musicians and artists that I like, but I never considered them my heroes. You know, I just considered them musicians. I liked, you know, I looked up to Gene Simmons, but I didn't, I never considered, considered him a hero. You know, it's kind of weird way that I had, I had it worked out in my head. So, this the, the whole act of this story on this song kind of turned me off to the song but so it wasn't until years later where i just like what am i talking what am i thinking why am i why do i care right that i realized how good of a song this is yeah I, I can understand that when you're a kid your perception's definitely different than than when you're an adult or are even a teenager um i think the first time i i heard this song i was a teenager and I mean, it fit my mentality perfectly. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm I was more of a fi- uh, a lover, not a fighter. So I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, then you know the second or the next song should definitely appeal to you as a lover and not a fighter. Ten seconds to love. It does. I love this song. <laughs> uh, to me, this is like this is a quintessentially motley sounding song. Um, it, it's, it's that simple riff. It's the kind of tongue in cheek, uh, humor that, that is associated with their, you know, they just make no qualms about it. They're, they're out to get laid. And I mean, this is, this is one of those songs that just really il- illustrates what the band is all about. In all honesty, it's one of my favorite Molly Crew songs. 
But I have to say, it's no wonder that these guys had didn't have long term relationships at the time. Because <laughs> if because if they're only going ten seconds, you know, they're not <laughs> satisfying anybody. <laughs> yeah, I um, mean that's fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's it's a really cool song. It is it's sleazy. It's groovy. It's got that cool call and response part in the middle. You know, it, it's a great song. I mean, what can I say? It, I, I I really like the song a lot. It just shows like that attitude of like I don't even care if you get off like <laughs> I am gonna yeah. I'm just gonna have a good time you know that and that's that was the the mentality of a lot of the glam at, at that time was the guy was machismo even though they looked like a chick <laughs> exactly yeah talk to poison about that <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, so th- so the final track is uh danger and that's uh Probably my least favorite track on the album, uh, I would say, because I I really enjoy everything else, even Helter Skelter, uh, which I did not like when I was younger, but it grew on me. It's like I I grew to appreciate it over time because I I knew the song and and could really recognize what they did with it and made it their own. But Danger to me is just, there's just nothing that really stands out to me. There is a decent solo in it, but... It's not one of the best by any means, and it just feels like the last track that was tacked on to me. So this is what I wrote down. To me, it's an afterthought, this this song. You build up this whole album that's great from beginning all the way up to 10 Seconds of Love, and literally with 10 Seconds of Love, they shot their wad, and they had <laughs> nothing left. <laughs> that is, yes, that's, that is the perfect way of putting it. Okay, and this is the this is the cigarette song. You're you're you you know you finished. You're relaxing. You're you're smoking a cigarette, but it's not that good. Yeah, <laughs> this song just leaves so much to be desired. It's like, why is this song on here? You know, it's like it's unnecessary. They they they're they're riding into the sunset with the song, where to me they should have ended it with something. To me, they, it, this song shouldn't have been on there. They should have just ended it with ten seconds of love. You know that's it, or even even switch around, put ten seconds of love ahead of uh, knock 'em dead kid, and end it with knock 'em dead. But either one, it would have ended better than with danger. I just I didn't like it. You know, for being such a good album, this one just kind of like eh, it just left left you feel sour taste in your mouth. <laughs> yeah, it's not necessary. Like, what's really the difference between you know thirty four minutes and thirty minutes? I'd rather have 30 minutes of, 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 you know, amazing versus 34 minutes of amazing plus a a, a song. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. All right. So that ends shout at the devil. That's uh, because you can say it's 11 titles, but it's technically only 10 songs. And even that, yeah, even then, you know, the God bless the children of the beast is is a short transition. Yeah. Right, it's only so it's only nine songs. Um, so that brings us six years later to Doctor Feelgood, uh, re- released in 1989 on Electro Records, produced by Bob Rock, um, and this that one was recorded at Little Mountain Sound Studios in Vancouver, Ontario, Canada. So it there's a completely different vibe on this album. Motley Crue has already released two albums after Shout to Devil leading into this album their reputation has grown and grown and grown and 
they come out with this album. I like this album a lot, but as we go through it, you're going to see where it's detracting from being really, really great, in my opinion. So we're going to start off. The first song is TNT, Terror in Tinseltown. Another very similar track to uh, In the Beginning. It's a it's an intro track. It's a, it's less than a minute long or thereabouts. It has only about 10 to 15 seconds of music, maybe 20, not even. And it sounds like the band just got on stage. It's like, bang, and they hit a riff, and they're you know, jamming on the, the cymbals and all that stuff. And then it kind of fades into a like a 911 call, a hospital message playing and all sorts of stuff going on with people. It ends in a car crash. This Now, before we... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, before we go on about this uh, album, one of the things that I, I have to say is, and, and, and they've been accused of this, and we talked about, you kind of briefly touched upon it on your intro earlier in, this, in the show. Motley Crue is people tend to be a little bit tone deaf if you want to put it that way you know very similar so if if they were if this had been happening nowadays they would have the the, the cancel culture would have gone all over them they have the intro to the song as a car crash okay with with a 911 call and 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 then a hospital call you know thing by the way the the hospital intercom tape that they play is is the same one that Queensryche uses on Operation Mindcrime, but it's edited differently, so you don't hear it the same way. Oh, okay. Um, what I don't like about it, when I call I call them tone deaf, is because they had that accident that killed Razzle Dingley uh, years earlier. You know, right after, basically, it was, I think it was after Shout Out the Devil came out. Mm-hmm. And you, so you have this album, You know, yes, it's six years later, who cares? The bottom line is, you, Vince Neil still killed somebody uh, in a drunk driving accident. And you have this thing that happens that is is you know recorded and you put on there and it's a car crash and then years later you know they put out a greatest hits album called music to crash your car by or or crash your car to or something like that and they were accused of being tone deaf back then too when that album came out so like you said as people they weren't the brightest you know people businessmen wise as you know for Motley Crue yeah maybe but that's where you know something like this is kind of like, come on, guys. There, there's a line of taste, though. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah, they've crossed it a few times, a few. So, <laughs> yeah, a few. Uh, so enough of it. Uh, you were gonna say something? Well, I was gonna say that the the intro though fits exactly where they were at their career though, and that's that is one thing you can say for it is is despite the the car crash sound and all that, but but it. It represents like so where they were in their career within the beginning is they're young and hungry and they're angry because they're they're trying to make it right. And then you get to Dr. Feelgood with TNT and at that point in their career, they've made it. They're big. This is like the Hollywood uh, intro. So it makes sense. It, it's a it's a good start to the album in that regard. It is, and so you know enough of the negativity with Molly Crew. Let's get back to the to the fun stuff. It it is definitely uh, the proper intro um, for the song because it leads right into Doctor Feelgood, 
And Dr. Feelgood is an awesome song. The, the, the drum work from Tommy Lee on, on Dr. Feelgood is outstanding. Uh, it's got a cool riff. It's a little ditty about gangs and drugs, just exactly what Motley Crue talks about all the time, <laughs> other than sex. You know, as soon as you hear this song, you can hear the influence of Bob Rock. The production is outstanding. Everything is crystal clear, you know, and, and so you know that they, 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 they stepped it up. Motley Crue stepped it up when it came to this album. And they, you, you knew they were onto something. Dr. Feelgood is just a great, great song. Yeah, it's a much more mature sounding riff uh, than what was coming out of the, the previous album we talked about. And really anything that was leading up to it. Um, you can hear some of that, that maturity growing in, say, Girls, 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 where they're, they're getting to that point. But this, this song itself is is kind of next level. It's almost like what happened with with the Black Album, you know, with Enter Sandman. It can it kind of came out of left field in the maturity column. You know, it just it just showed a growth in songwriting and especially like from from Mick, Mick Mars, it was it was not as quite as simple as a lot of the riffs that he was writing before. And so you see that kind of throughout the album in certain songs, not all the songs. Uh, but but specifically this one, uh, there's it, it's kind of like next level for them. It is. It, the unfortunate part is we now go into slice of your pie. Yuck! And- Yuck! <laughs> I hate this song. I it's it might as well be warrant or poison. It's it it's so generic and interchangeable with any of the bands at that time. You know, when, when, when you and I, obviously, we, we, I don't call, I don't consider these reviews of these albums, but we listen to all this music. We, we kind of know what we like and mm-hmm. we know what the formula that works or the formula that we like. And typically you, you, you start off an album with a, a, an up-tempo rocker that gets the blood flowing. And then you go into typically second, third song is your, is your single, your hit uh, or something close to it. Motley Crue, they they changed the pattern. Like you know, from from in you know, shout out the devil on, they always had a slower mid tempo song be the first song in the album. You know, when when it was shout out the devil, looks that kill came on afterward. That was the up tempo song. That was the single. That was the the one that got the energy up even more. Mm-hmm. You know, shout out the devil was good because it it got you shouting and it was a good hook, and and then leads into looks that kill, which is a killer song. This one, and and let me let me back up. You go into say theater pain. The first song, City Boy Blues, just does not do it. You know, it's a, it's a slow song, and then it leads into the single, Smoking in the Boys Room, where you know, and the same thing happens with Girls, Girls, Girls. They start off with Wild Side. It's a great song, but it's a slower song, mm-hmm. and then it leads into the single, Girls, Girls, Girls. So they they've figured out their formula, and it works for them. Yeah, but here. It does not. Slice of your pie sucks. It, okay, I don't like that song. It sucks. Okay, it, it re- and it really does. Yeah. It sounds like an off-brand version of Cherry Pie by Warrant. Like it, it's like the Walmart brand of Cherry Pie. It sucks. Motley Crue. This album is more blues in your face blues. Mm-hmm. Put it that way than any other album that they've done. Mm-hmm. And you know we hide. You know they don't hide the fact that they're blues influenced. 
but this is straight up blues. This song, Rattlesnake Shake, and what's the other one I got on my list here? Uh, <laughs> Sticky Sweet. They're all flat out in your face blues songs. And while they're not horrible songs, they, they, they work to some degree. They're just not good songs in terms of Motley Crue. I'm going I'm to disagree with you on one of them, but we'll get to that song when we talk about it. Right. So, so Slice Your Pie, just, you know, it's a sleazy blues song full of innuendo. It's almost like a standard blues type song. It's not for me. You know, it, it, it's, to me, it's a downer. I, I'm coming off this great song with Dr. Feelgood, and then I got to listen to this. Mm-hmm. I'm like, come on, man. You know, really. So then it goes into Rattlesnake Shake. Okay. And Rattlesnake Shake, it's another one like that. It's it's a blues song. It's to me, I could have done without it. Now this the difference with this one is they put the Aerosmith treatment to this song. Um, they used the same people on the horn section that Aerosmith used during the Pump album. Yeah, they've got that vibe going to it. It's cool, but. This song is not as good as the other side from Aerosmith, where where Aerosmith used all the horns and stuff like that. So, it's you know it's not my it's it's not for me. Well, I've got the same criticism I had of of slice of your pie. It sounds like off brand Aerosmith. I mean, it just it's it doesn't do a thing for me, and it's got these orchestrals in there that are just gross. I I just I don't like it. Uh, it, it these two tracks, I could completely do without, and I'd be happy. Exactly, you know, and it's like I'm coming off this really good song, and then I got these two songs back to back. You know, it's like yeah, if you like Aerosmith's Pump album, that's great. It was recorded a few months earlier, so it literally the the horns must have still been hot. That <laughs> they, they, you know, they, the same people were using them. The only person that wasn't on on this album that was on the Aerosmith one was Bruce Fairburn, the producer. He played some of the horns as well, but you know, Motley Crue, you know, used the horns. They, you know, Bob rock was probably in on the sessions for, for pump, you know, or at least heard some of it said, Hey man, this might be a good idea. This, whatever they, they, he convinced Motley Crue or Motley Crue said, yeah, this is a good idea. Whatever. Whoever thought of it, use it, should have thrown it out. Now, oddly enough, this, at this time of, of, not uh, of the era, you should say late 80s, early 90s. This was the thing, you know, putting horns into these blues songs was a thing. Guns N' Roses would do it a couple years later on the Use Your Illusion album. And then they actually did the whole tour. They brought out a whole horn section, Mm -hmm. you know, so that was the thing. You know, you're playing a lot of these bluesy songs. Okay, get it. I got it. You know, that's the way heavy metal hard rock was at that time. It, it to me it's unnecessary it, it, you know you're to me you're dressing up the song why are you dressing up the song is there not enough on the song itself for you to say this is good by itself hmm i don't know i don't think that's so. necessarily the case I, th- I mean i think they were trying to experiment and at this point they were probably listening to a lot of the the record company telling them you know this is what's popular this is what's going to make it a hit uh, or the producer doing the same thing. So, you know, I, I get it. But at the same time, I don't enjoy it. Exactly. But then we get the next song. Song number five, Kickstart My Heart. 
Should have been track three. <laughs> <laughs> when you live a life of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, this is the kind of song you write. This song is about adrenaline sports, and it is awesome. I mean, the riff, the energy, the vibe, everything about this song is just total kick-ass. It's awesome. I love this song. Yeah, I mean, pun intended, this is the song that gets the adrenaline flowing. I mean, I wrote, now we're talking. <laughs> this, this, is, <laughs> this song does exactly what the title suggests. If you're at the gym and want a song to start running to, like this song kicks ass. It should have been track three. It should have been what followed Dr. Feelgood. And I, I got nothing more to say about it other than it's awesome. The, the cool thing about this song and, and what I like a little bit about this album is this, the song actually gets personal at that point in the breakdown where they're talking about when we started this band. And it, it, this, the, the, the personalness still deals with the adrenaline vibe because when they get on stage, they, they still feel that energy. And so the, the song comes back up and it goes back into the ending and ending chorus and all that stuff. So I, I like the fact that it got personal. It, it it adds a little bit more of a oddly enough a personal touch to the song. So it, it it makes it that much better to me. So I like that. So kudos to this song. It does it straight up from the from the beginning to the end. Awesome song. Leads into song number six without you. So you bring the vibe down. Insert metal ballad here. Yeah, this is a power bla- power ballad. Yeah. It shows a little variation with the band, like the, their steel guitar at the beginning. Um, there's some clean guitar work from Mick Mars without distortion. Uh, there's the solos that are definitely have that that you know classic Motley Crue distortion sound. Uh, for me, it's like it's it's all right. I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna criticize it here because this is this this is what you had to have if you were a glam metal band. At this time, mm-hmm, exactly. In, in, at, at you know, in in this era, you had to have a ballad. Now, this is a good song for Motley Crue. It's again, it's a, it's a sweet love song. The difference is, it's not as good as Home Sweet Home was two albums earlier. A hundred percent agree. In, you know, in in nineteen eighty five, basically Motley Crue started the whole ballad, you know, the the metal ballad uh, phenomenon. I I don't agree with that statement completely but it was when home sweet home came out and it was such a big mtv and radio hit that other bands had to put it on there but i do recall in 1983 or was it 82 no 1983 when twisted sister put out you can't stop rock and roll they had a song called uh you're all i want or you're all i need um suzette song that was a ballad a a love song ballad metal ballad completely slowing down the pace of the album but the album you know was was you can't rock you can't stop rock and roll and i am my me are the two biggest songs on that album and it wasn't a huge hit until or yeah it wasn't a huge hit at all and then when twisted sister came out with stay hungry they, they went over the top so Stay Hungry also had a ballad on it, but it was a little bit different. It was called The Price. It was more a personal type of song about life on the road, a little bit different than a sappy love song. Home Sweet Home is very similar in terms of, of uh, being a song about the road and getting home to your to your loved one, whatever it is. 
but that started the whole revolution. Yeah. And no one ever looked back after that. You had to have that metal ballad on your album if you wanted to sell records. Without You is that. And it's a good version. I mean, excuse me. It's a good song for Motley Crue. But most people, if if you're into heavier stuff, that's not going to be your thing. I get yeah, it. It's, it's no so different than where they started as a band. Um, but that's what happens where, you know, bands age, they mature, they go in a different direction, they they grow, and that's what happens. And it's too bad that this became such a trend that y- you're right. In order for the bands to have or, or to sell an album, they had to have some kind of hit like this. And it sucks because, like, bands like Extreme would really suffer from that. Warrant had, you know, the, the Cherry Pie song that they had to have some, not a ballad per se, but they had to have like some kind of big catchy song that didn't necessarily always represent everything else that the band did. And so like this is this is another case of the record companies really saying, this is what you have to do. We're not going to put your album out unless you do some shit like this. Well, and and for Warrant on Dirty Rotten's Filthy Stinking Rich, they had that song Heaven. So oh, that was yeah, their yeah, ballad. that's true. That yeah. was a big song for them. You know, that got them their second album where the record company says, you got to have Cherry Pie. You have to have a song like that. And it was a joke. Cherry Pie's a joke. Mm-hmm. He said, watch, we could write a hit single in, two, in 10 seconds. Boom. And it has never left the radio. That song is all over the place all the time. It's crazy. So anyway... Um, after Without You comes the song Same Old Situation, SOS. Motley Crue's Ode to Lesbianism. <laughs> it, it's a really good song. This is Motley Crue firing, firing on all cylinders. It's got great hooks. It's got great melodies. Um, but subject matter-wise, it's, it's kind of interesting that they would, they would do this. Um, but not a lot of people got it at first. So unless you really, really pay attention to the lyrics, you really don't know what's going on. But it's a cool song. I like it. I mean, I got it, and it's just not my thing. This is this is a very, you know, it, it's at this point in the game, this is the, the sound that uh, glam metal started taking on, and it's the point where I was becoming disinterested in the whole glam metal scene. You know, like obviously, my my um, I don't mean I listened to it when it came out, but I mean we've talked about this before. I picked up albums in order of the the band's releases when I when I when I could. So I followed their career and always kind of had this like mental landscape of what was going on because I would I would keep it in consideration of this band was releasing this at this time and. This is the sound that this this genre of music was taking on, and it was just not for me. And to me, it's just it's too cheesy, it's too catchy, it, it's like it's too poppy, and <laughs> and I just don't care for it that much. But I get why it's a popular song. Oh, I mean, I I hear where you're coming from, and and that's you know these are the types of things that pushed you to you know. Uh, melodic death metal. I get it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I was searching for heavier music because I didn't enjoy this direction of 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 metal. Exactly, and same old situation. For what it for what it's worth, it's the chorus has just got a killer hook, and that's the type of thing that brings fans in. 
you know, it may deter some, but it's going to collect new ones and it's going to con- collect that, that general population of fan. So yeah. it did the trick, you know, uh, I can't take it. I, I can't say anything bad about it. I like the song myself. So it, it's, it's definitely, you know, one of those songs that Molly Crew was just like, yeah, this is, this is, a, this is what we do. Next song is called Sticky Sweet. In my opinion, it's much like Slice of the Pie or Slice of Your Pie and Rattlesnake Shake. It's another blues song. It's a little less sleazy, but it's it's still full of the same innuendo that the other songs uh, have. And, and Nikki is famous for, for, for coming up with it. I hate it. What? <laughs> I hate and so I hate this song worse than the first two. Um, I this is my <laughs> least favorite on the album for sure. I hate the lyrics. I hate the the riff. I I hate the song. <laughs> just eat it. Tell just, me how you really feel. <laughs> no, I, I I get it because like I said, all three songs they are straight up blues songs, and all three are to me are downers. I I don't get it, but. That's what they put out. Um, you know, that enough said about it. Then they go into the song, She Goes Down, song number nine on the album. Not a lot of explanation needed on this one. We, <laughs> we kind of know what it means, you know, with the zipper starting at the beginning of the song. Yep. <laughs> so, again, typical Motley song, typical topic, you know, another blues song. So, it, it's a little bit more involved than the, the other three songs. But, you know, it's, it's a catchy chorus. Yeah, it's, it's a fun. It's, it's, it's a fun song. It's like I don't really like it or hate it. It's just kind of there, you know. It doesn't. It doesn't bother me. Um, it's kind of in the yeah, same vein as what we've heard throughout the whole album with the innuendo, like you said. I mean, innuendo is is probably being generous because it's it's pretty straightforward for the most part. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it's fine. It's hef- it's definitely a step up from Sticky Sweet. <laughs> that's not saying a lot <laughs> so it, it is what it is it's you know it's Motley Crue and it's fairly generic for Motley Crue yeah so we go into towards we were the, the last couple songs in the album song number 10 don't go away mad just go away I like this song a lot it's a mid-tempo ballad if you look at it that way it's not really a mid-tempo rocker it's it leans more to the to the lighter side of of of, of a ballad, but it's still mid tempo. Uh, it's got a really cool vocal melody, in my opinion. It is also what I would consider one of Molly Crew's deeper songs in terms of meaning, and it's a very reflective song for for Nikki in that regards. I, I agree um, with you in pretty much every way. Um, what I also really like is the bass guitar on this track. It's really yeah, strong. Yeah, you hear it. It's very strong. Yeah, you hear it a lot through it. Yeah, throughout the song, it's it's definitely one of the better tracks on the album. I really like it. I like it definitely in comparison to say "Without You." I I think it's one of the top three tracks on the album. I could agree with you on that. So that leads us to the final track on the album, "Time for Change," and it's time for me to end the CD <laughs> <laughs> at this point. Um, it's a it, to me, it's a prophetic song. Five years later, Vince Neil would be gone. John Karabi would be the new singer, and it was time for change. But they would eventually that wouldn't last, and it would go. They would go back to Vince. Um, but it was a a definitely a prophetic song, in my opinion. At the same time, it was also pretty lame way to end the album. 
again, you had a relatively strong album for the most part because you started it off with a really good song and you ended it at, well, I'd say ended it. You had a song right before this one called Don't Go Away Mad, which was a really strong song. So you, you, you started with a strong song, you kind of ended with a strong song, and then you throw in time for change, and it's like, oh, shit, here we go again. Danger all over again. <laughs> you, know, you know what's funny is is yeah, there's a statement from Nikki Six from years ago where he said he didn't really like the Beatles. He thought they were wimpy. Dude, this sounds like a Beatles song. This sounds like them trying to write a Beatles song. Not not necessarily like it's as good as a Beatles song. <laughs> it sounds like their attempt at at a late Beatles song, and I just you know for a band that 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 criticizes them and then covered one of their tracks, it just seems weird to me. It's like, come on, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it's not good. It's it's not a good song. No, and overall, when when I'm sitting here looking at four songs that I don't like on an album, that's almost half the album. Mm-hmm. So this album's got some really, really good songs on it. Dr. Feel Good, Kickstart My Heart, Don't Go Away Mad. Uh, but at the same time, it's got some really bad songs on it. And I I have to give it to Shout at the Devil is a much better album, almost perfect. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm in 100% agreement with you. To me, Shout at the Devil is the better album. It's, it's also, to me, the best Motley Crue album. It just is. Uh, yeah, I agree with you there, too. Yeah, I like some of the stuff off of Girls, Girls, Girls. I love Too Fast for Love. I think that's a great album in that it's very raw. It's, it's you know, the, the band at their hungriest. And there's, the, there's a lot of attitude there. And you can see they're going to go far. But to me, Shout at the Devil is that that culmination of like the perfect time, the perfect place, you know, all all the things that lined up to make them the band that's as big as they are. Do- Dr. Feelgood is like the the culmination of of years of success whereas Shout at the Devil was that that moment that that was this is why they're a success. See, and and that's that's what makes these two albums so weird because if you look at the sales of uh, in terms of record sales, this one sold way more than Shout the Devil, mm-hmm. you know. But that's because on, of their it's career. The, it's part of the career and the buildup, but it's also on the strength of really really good songs. Kickstart, Kickstart my heart. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Don't go away mad. Same old situation. And Doctor Feelgood. All four of those songs are huge, and. Are they are they that much better than certain songs on on Shout the Devil? Kickstart my heart. I would say yes. Doctor Feelgood. I would probably say yes. You know, Shout the Devil is still a very good song, but Looks to Kill is not as good as as those songs that are on Feelgood. So the difference is that Feelgood sells more records based. You know, oh, and on top of that, they had that huge single with Without You. So that's what drove the record sales. Yeah. But Shout Out the Devil is a much better album. It would almost be a well, it would be a perfect album if it wasn't for Danger. It it, it makes me rank it, you know, like a nine out of ten instead of a perfect album because of Danger. The good thing about that is is that when you you know how you listen to CDs or you listen to albums, when you, you go from beginning to end, you can stop right after ten seconds of love. <laughs> you know? Because you, you 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 really yeah, it's a culmination. Um, like, I think most guys would stop after 10 seconds. Yeah, they, they, yeah. <laughs> they, like they did. They shot their wad. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Um, so yeah, and that's why Dr. Feelgood gets that kind of high rating, like an eight, because of the strength of those singles that they had. But to me, the the lack of strength on the other songs are so drastic that it's it's a it's not as good an album to me. So that's where we're at. All right, so this week we're in agreement that uh, Shout of the Devil is the better of the two, and I think we're in agreement that it's the best Motley Crue album. Absolutely. Definitely, we're in agreement for there. All right, so that brings us to our big four, but this week it's a little bit different. We're celebrating the holidays, so it's our big four metal Christmas songs. So this week we're not going to do our big four Motley Crue. Um, we're going to actually hold off on that till next week because we're going to talk about uh, the 80s and specifically the life and death of hair metal or glam metal. So we're going to shift our focus to Christmas because, uh, you know, we talked about it at the, at the top of the show. And uh, I think this is the perfect time since it's Christmas Day. And uh, we're going to do our big four Christmas songs. So, Kenneth, why don't you start us off? All right. So. Number four for me in my big four metal Christmas songs or Christmas metal songs um, is Oh Come All You Faithful from Twisted Sister. Basically, Twisted Sister admitted along with D. Snyder admitted a long time ago that he actually stole the intro and the rhythm for We're Not Gonna Take It from Oh Come All You Faithful. So it, it, it only serves them right to go backwards and record the Christmas classic in a very similar vein to um, we're not going to take it. So it's pretty cool. I like it. It's, it's a, it's a fun version. Number three, trans Siberian orchestra with Christmas Eve, Sarajevo 1224. It was originally a sabotage song came out on there on this. I uh, was, that? I think it was dead, deadly winter or something album. I can't remember really good. Excuse me. Really good song. Um, but Trans-Siberian Orchestra absorbed it and put it into their Christmas Stories um, CD. So it fits perfectly. I love this song. It's all over the radio every year. Trans-Siberian Orchestra is all over the radio every year. This is awesome. I love this song. Number two. Now, this is a very, very obscure song for many fans out there. But Winter Wonderland by Striper came out. Ooh, right after their debut EP, they put out the single Reason for the Season, which was another Christmas song. And the backside was this song, Winter Wonderland. I love this song. It's got double bass. It's basically a heavy metal version of Winter Wonderland. And when I say heavy metal, I mean double, Rob uh, Sweet is playing double bass throughout the whole song. It's killer. And... There's a little bit of goofiness at the beginning because, you know, instead of saying to hell with you guys, uh, there's a little spoken word intro that Rob <laughs> Rob is playing double bass drums on. And Michael is trying to get the band to join in and play some Christmas carols. And so Michael's asking, you know, Tim and Oz, hey, guys, you want to sing up some, some background vocals with me? And they're like, nah, man, don't want to do it. And you're like, Rob, you're my brother. Come on. He's like, no, no, I'm going to stick to the drums. So he goes, all right, we'll shun you guys. Oh, as, God. Saying, as opposed to saying to hell with you guys. <laughs> so that was, yeah, it, it was real cheesy back in the day. But, you know, that's the way they were back then. It's, then we're talking 1984, I think, that this album, this song came out. 84, 85. So it was a while ago. But it was it was the B-side to their Reason for the Season single. 
All right. And my number one favorite metal Christmas song of all time. There's no presents for Christmas from King Diamond. (laughs) (laughs) I love that song. It's, it, it is a holiday song for King Diamond. There's some little jingles at the end towards the, you know, after the breakdown where he, he literally plays a little tiny Christmas part. The bottom line is it's it's the anti-Christmas song, which makes it my favorite Christmas song. <laughs> <laughs> it It's a lot of fun. Uh, you know, uh, you surprised me with Striper. I didn't, uh, I didn't see that one coming whatsoever. <laughs> Uh, but a pretty good list. I like your list. Cool. We don't we we don't really have a lot of car- a crossover. We only have one song that crosses over. Oh wow. Okay. So I'm going to start with my number four, and that's Viking Christmas by Amana Marth. <laughs> it's so great because it it's like you know you take a band that's that's totally pagan and have them <laughs> sing a Christmas song. It's just fantastic, and it sounds. It, I mean, it, it's not like they just played a Christmas song. They made a metal sounding or a Christmassy sounding metal song that's just so fitting for the band. I love it. Uh, for number three, I've got "All Holy Night" by Rob Halford from uh, or for, by Halford on uh, Halford Three. Um, I love the song in general. Uh, I remember hearing it in. Uh, What's the Macaulay Culkin Christmas? Uh, Home Alone. Alone. I used to watch Home Alone every Christmas. I still try to. Uh, That is my go-to Christmas movie. And I remember hearing this song in there, and I just, I I adore it. And then hearing Rob Halford sing it with his voice is just fantastic. So that's my number three. Uh, number two was your number one, and no presents for Christmas, uh, by King Diamond. It's just such a fun song, and uh, I mean, I think you said it all with it. But I, I definitely didn't listen to it, uh, you know, until later, uh, because it took me a long time to get into King Diamond, and and you really actually mostly got me into King Diamond, and uh, so I, I've heard this song for many years, and I've liked it, but. Uh, I think my new appreciation for King Diamond kind of amped it up. So it's it moved its way up to number two. And then uh, for number one is my all-time favorite Christmas song, and that's Christmas with the Devil by Spinal Tap. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's kind of another one probably out of left field. Uh, but I, I absolutely love Spinal Tap, as as a lot of uh, metalheads can probably attest to the same. Um, but I, I remember getting this song, and uh, it's been in my, uh, well, it was in my CD player many years ago, uh, but it's it's on my uh, my phone now. It, but it, this is my go-to Christmas song every year. And I would play it for my family, and they would be irritated with me for playing it. <laughs> but I didn't care. I loved it. So number one for me. That's awesome. All right. So that's our Christmas show for this year, if you want to put it that way. Um, so that's going to bring us to what Chris was talking about earlier. We're going to do an 80s episode next week. So let us, let us know a little bit more about what's going to happen next week. 
So we've talked a little bit about uh, the 80s for the last couple of weeks, and we thought it would be a good idea to kind of talk about the life and times, as you put it, of the of hair metal, uh, the, the, the beginnings all the way to the death of the genre. Uh, even though it's had a resurgence in recent years, uh, when, when grunge came around, there was a, a massive shift in what music was and uh, all of a sudden, these bands that, that were at the top of the charts really had nowhere to go and didn't know how to, how to you know, keep going without really shifting in what they're doing. So we're going to talk about next week their, their kind of journey from, you know, the bottom to reaching the highest of heights to kind of trying to figure out where they were going to go. So make sure to tune in next week to listen to that. And remember, always turn it up to 11. And Merry Christmas, everyone. We'll see you next year. Ho, ho, ho.